Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who knows every mom on Elm Street, the captain. Yeah, Freddy's dead. That's what I said. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Adjunct Trail, a scary, good imperial milk stout from the brilliant collaboration of Angry Chair Brewing and Prairie Artisan Ales. This is great because we have featured beers from both of these fantastic brewers, and this week, we get to feature one that collaborates and celebrates them both. This is a sweet treat for Trick or Treat. A stout with hazelnut coffee and toasted coconut garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And here's some cheers to our friends for helping us out with this week's beer fund. A big cheers to Rosa in Union Star, Missouri. And a big we like your jib to Miss Forrest from Denver, Colorado. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And if you want to help us out with next week's beer run, you do the same. That's right. B-W-E-R-R-U-N. Beer Run. That was also my nickname in high school. Roasted Coconut. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, what are you waiting for? Go to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and click on the off-the-record link and sign up. It's the best podcast in the world, people. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody. Gather around. Grab a chair. Grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. The following is from the Arizona Republic newspaper. Tuesday, November 30th, 2004. The headline read, Armored car guard shot, killed. Slayer flees on bike after Awatuki robbery. The article by Emily Bittner reads in part, An armored car guard was ambushed and killed on Monday, November 29th, 2004 in Awatuki foothills, in which the shooter escaped on a bicycle. Robert Keith Palomares, just age 24, was carrying the weekend deposits out of the AMC Awatuki 24 movie theater. The shooter lay in wait near a ticket booth. 
Keith Palomares, a guard for Dunbar Armored, did not have a chance to draw his gun. He was wearing body armor, but was shot several times and died later. The other guard stayed in the vehicle, which is standard procedure when one guard is making a collection. Police declined to disclose how much money was taken. Witnesses said that the suspect rode a black and red mountain bike southeast away from the Arrowhead Foothills Town Center and carried the black and tan money bag. He is described as a 25 to 30 year old man, about 5 feet 8 inches tall. He was wearing a dark hooded sweatshirt or jacket and dark jeans. Authorities set up a perimeter around the theater, but investigators have no good leads. Police found a bicycle abandoned nearby, but it did not fit witnesses' description of the robber's bike. Video surveillance from nearby businesses was not helpful in identifying a suspect. A spokesman for Dunbar, which at the time was the largest private armored car service in the country, said that fatal robberies are rare, but that its employees put their lives on the line daily. Keith Palomares, the guard that was shot and killed on that Monday morning back in 2004, was just 24 years old. He had his whole life and future in front of him. He was working hard in the early stages of building a career. And just months before his death, he celebrated his first wedding anniversary. Make no mistakes about it. This was not just a robbery. This was cold-blooded, premeditated, first-degree murder. Did the shooter do this for personal profit or self-preservation? At the end of the day, none of that matters. It certainly didn't matter for Keith Palomari's family. And it did not matter to the Phoenix Police or the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Robbing an armored truck is a federal crime. The manhunt was on. In the early stages of their investigation, detectives and agents learned that the man that they were looking for was Jason Derrick Brown, American murderer. This is True Crime Garage. American murderer Jason Derrick Brown has been on the run from the FBI and the Phoenix police now for, oh, about 17 years, 330 days, if my calculations are correct there, Captain. Currently, Jason Derrick Brown is 53 years of age. He is wanted for unlawful flight to avoid prosecution, first-degree murder, and armed robbery. And I would like everyone to pay close attention here because the number one purpose of this episode is to locate, apprehend, and charge Jason Brown with murder, deliver him to the courts for sentencing, because this guy's been on the run for far too long for a crime that is completely senseless, totally heinous, and this guy should be locked up. When Jason Brown went on the run, he was listed as five foot ten inches tall and one hundred and seventy to one hundred and eighty pounds. He is Caucasian with blonde hair and green eyes. He speaks French fluently. According to Fox News, Jason Brown loves to go out drinking and doesn't have close ties to his family except for his brother. He enjoys skiing, snowboarding, and riding dirt bikes and ATVs. He kept his house extremely clean, requiring visitors to remove their shoes before entering. That could be a possible identifier. Uh, he is believed to be using aliases that include Jason D. Brown, Derek Brown, Greg Johnson, Hairline Johnson, Greg Hairline Johnson, John Brown, and Jay Brown are just some of the aliases that he may have used in the past or may be currently using. Well, Jason is well built. And to describe his hair at the time that he went missing, it was almost like he was doing his best poly D 
almost like he had a blowout. At one time, the FBI was offering a $100,000 reward for information leading to Jason Derrick Brown's arrest. I don't know the current reward for his capture, although I am positive that there would be one. Authorities provided age progression photos of Jason Brown to news outlets years ago, and we will post those on some of our socials on Twitter for sure. Follow me at TCGNIC and follow the show at True Crime Garage. He's one of those ones, Captain, that he, when he hit the list, when he first went on to the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitive list, he was mentioned in several news articles as looking like Sean Penn and looking like a surfer dude. And that's why a lot of people thought that he kind of stood out from the other nine individuals that were on the list. And his FBI most wanted picture Jason in his red hoodie became very famous. You saw this on Dateline. You saw this on other news networks and all over the internet. Some of you that paid close attention to today's trailer, and if you are a longtime listener of this fine program, then you are thinking this case sounds familiar, and you would be right. That is because we discussed this case on some old shows that were titled Most Wanted. Those shows were released back in early August of 2017, and they are episodes number 130 and 131 on your true crime garage listening dial. Thousands of wonderful people listened to those two episodes. One person in particular who we know that was listening is friend of the show, Matthew Gentile. Matthew is a writer and director who I'm certain is on his way to Hollywood greatness. Matthew became quite fixated on this case, the details of the events leading up to Jason Brown committing this murder and then Jason fleeing the area, and now Jason is on the run, an American murderer, and more importantly, an American fugitive. Back in 2017, when we covered the FBI 10 Most Wanted Fugitives, Jason Derrick Brown was on that list. This robbery homicide, or as the FBI Crime Classification Manual may classify this as a profit felony homicide, took place in 2004, as described in the trailer. But on December 8th, 2007, Jason Derrick Brown was named by the FBI as the 489th fugitive to be placed on its 10 most wanted list. He is considered to be armed and extremely dangerous. A little bit of follow-up here, Captain, because that list, that 10 most wanted list, has changed considerably since we covered it five years ago. Right. In fact, earlier this year, in early September, so on September 7th of 2022, Jason Derrick Brown was actually removed from the 10 most wanted list without being captured. However, of course, he is still wanted. He is still a wanted man. He was replaced on the list by Michael James Pratt. And actually, there was a bit of a news break here. You can go to FBI.gov and research all the people that have been added to the list, removed to the list for whatever reason. If you look up Jason Derrick Brown, again, he's number 489th. He was added in December of 2007 and was removed in September of this year. And then under that, it states Jason Derrick Brown is wanted for the murder and armed robbery of an armored car guard in Phoenix, Arizona in November of 2004. He was removed from the list after it was determined that he no longer fit the criteria for inclusion on the list. Yeah, which is obviously a vague explanation. Yeah. And like I said, the, the list has changed considerably since we covered it five years ago. Jason Derrick Brown is not on there currently. Also, of course, there were several wanted fugitives that were located and apprehended since 2017. So they've been removed for the purpose for that purpose. And I know one of the cases that we highlighted in those episodes, the individual turned himself into police. Now there were two others that we covered that were removed from the list, just like Jason Derrick Brown was. And this was a little surprising to me. And we'll get into the workings of the FBI's 10 most wanted list here in a minute. But 
it was surprising to me when I looked up the list, Captain, because this is something that I do look up a couple times a year. I don't stay on top of it weekly or anything like that, but look it up a couple times a year. And I've noticed that a lot of the faces that were on there in 2007 are no longer on there. There's one Alexis Flores or Alexi Flores, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I recognize him as still being on there from five, five years earlier, but Jason Derrick Brown was removed. Another guy that we covered is this William Bradford Bishop Jr. Remember, he was the man that murdered his family, and he's been on the run ever since. And he's been on the run for a very, very long time. He was actually removed from the list in 2018. So less than a year after we covered the 10 most wanted list, he was removed. And it simply states that he was removed from the list, making room for the FBI to put another dangerous fugitive on the list. He had been on the list for a considerable amount of time. He would have been 81 years of age if, if in fact, he is still alive. He would have been 81 years old in 2018 when they removed him from the list. Yeah, on the run, shitin' in his pants, not because he's scared, but because of his age. Another individual that was removed, and he was removed rather recently as well, is this Robert William Fisher. Some of our listeners may know him. There is a documentary out there that was released in 2011. Documentary is titled, Where is Robert Fisher? I know it was on Amazon for quite some time and maybe on Netflix, so I'm sure a lot of our listeners have watched or viewed that. This documentary relies heavily on interviews with journalists and detectives and features interviews with Robert Fisher's sister and one of his neighbors. And the documentary includes home footage of Fisher taken by his wife, Mary, which was described as eerie and disturbing because the crime that he is wanted for is the murder of his family. And then he set the home on fire afterwards. Now, he was allegedly, you know, this is all alleged activity. None of this has been proven, even with uh, William Bradford Bishop Jr. It's not been proven in court that Jason Derrick Brown killed the armed guard, and it's not proven that Robert William Fisher. But in all three of these cases, we're talking about this is the prime suspect in all three of these cases. These three guys are still wanted. In the case of Robert Fisher and William. Bradford Bishop Jr., those two were considered to be the only suspect in those crimes. And because they fled and they have the police have proof in both cases that they fled, well, then they were placed on this 10 most wanted list and they're considered a, a, a fugitive by the FBI on the federal level. And then with our guy, with the subject of today's show, of this week's shows, Jason Derrick Brown they were able to recover fingerprints from the getaway bicycle that was used during the commission of this robbery homicide that was committed by, again, allegedly Jason Derrick Brown. But we can sit here, Captain, the two of us, and with all garage confidence say Jason Derrick Brown committed this murder. That is why the FBI has been looking for him all of these years. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. If one were to go to FBI.gov, you could look up the current 10 most wanted list as it is today. But a little history, a little background on the list itself before we get into more of the story about Jason Derrick Brown. The FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list has been in existence since March 14th, 1950. This is when a reporter for the International News Service asked the Bureau for the names and descriptions of the, quote, toughest guys the Bureau would like to capture. The resulting story generated so much publicity and had so much appeal that late FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover implemented the 10 Most Wanted Fugitives program. The first person to be placed on the list was Thomas James Holden, wanted for the murder of his wife, her brother, and her stepbrother. Since its inception, 529 fugitives have been on the 10 most wanted fugitives list and happy to report here 
that 492 of them have been apprehended or located. Yeah, I give that a hell yeah. Go Team America. Some interesting facts about the program are 163 fugitives have been captured, located as a result of citizen cooperation. So the list is working in that regard. Two fugitives were apprehended as a result of visitors on an FBI tour. The shortest amount of time spent on the 10 most wanted fugitives list was two hours. This guy was only on the list for two hours. This was Billy Austin Bryant back in 1969. The longest amount of time spent on the 10 most wanted fugitives list was over 32 years by Victor Manuel Garina. Nine fugitives were arrested prior to publication and release. So they were added to the list, but it, before it could be released to the public, they were actually apprehended. So I guess they're still considered to be officially on the list. The oldest person to be placed on the list was 80-year-old Eugene Palmer, who was added in May of 2019. And of course, this program relies heavily on the assistance of citizens and the media. Publicity from coast to coast and around the world has been important to this list in helping to apprehend some of these fugitives. Like we said, it's been very successful, the program. 492 have been apprehended or located out of the 529 fugitives that have been placed on the list. Media's involvement and participation in this list and sharing this list in other countries has been very important to capturing these criminals. As one can imagine, a lot of these fugitives are on the run. And when on the run, a lot of them will flee to other countries given the opportunity. And so this program and the media's involvement with this program and putting out these guys' pictures, we say guys because most of the people on this list have been of the male type, and pictures of these guys and what their crimes are and what aliases they may be using, where they may be hiding out, all of that information when broadcast globally is so important because a lot of these dudes will flee to other countries and many of them have been apprehended in other countries. And like we said, you can check out this list at fbi.gov. And one of the fascinating things about the website itself is on fbi.gov, there's some frequently asked questions about the list. So we're going to dive into a couple of those. Yeah, we cherry picked a few of these because there are some that are natural questions that I think pop in one's mind immediately once thinking about the 10 most wanted list or viewing the current status as it is of the 10 most wanted list. So the first question is, what is the purpose of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives program? The answer, the 10 most wanted fugitives program is a publicity program funded by the FBI that started in March of 1950 in conjunction with the nation's news media. It is designed to publicize particularly dangerous fugitives who might not otherwise merit nationwide attention. The FBI recognizes the need for public assistance in tracking fugitives. 163 of the 10 most wanted fugitive apprehensions have been the result of citizen recognition of the 10 most wanted fugitive. Well, this kind of goes to the idea of our true crime podcast or is true crime media sources is this important to law enforcement? I think if you talk to the dummies, the big, the big, big dummies, they would tell you, no, we don't, we don't need these podcasts covering these cases or putting out information. And sometimes the information that people are putting out is incorrect. But if you talk to the good guys on the force, most of them will tell you, look, these are helpful. It's helpful for people to be talking about these cases and sharing information online and sharing uh, pictures and sharing, sharing the story because some people will come out later with little details because they, they hear about this. They hear about a show covering a case and they feel like it's important to share 
their details about the case, which they may have never shared with law enforcement before. Well, and what's so interesting, too, here in this situation is today is really a weird episode for us, right? Because we feature unsolved cases. We feature solved cases. We feature missing persons cases. We've done several suspicious deaths or undetermined cause of death cases, suicide, homicide. Sometimes it's not so clear. This is the rare show that we actually feature a case where I would consider it to be solved, as in we know what happened, how it went down, and who was responsible, but not solved in the sense that the man is not behind bars. The person responsible, the person who committed this horrible, serious crime, is not been apprehended, not been located. Well, and on top of that, then you can go further and say, well, this is a solved crime, yet not solved, but we also have a missing person because mm-hmm. we do not know where Jason is and we don't know if Jason is still alive. So then the aspect of the way you look into a missing person case is very similar on how you have to look into Jason's case as well. Another frequently asked question is who actually decides which fugitives go on the list? The answer The Criminal Investigative Division, CID, at FBI headquarters calls upon all 56 field offices to submit candidates for the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list. The nominees received are reviewed by special agents in the CID and the Office of Public Affairs. The selection of the proposed candidates is then forwarded to FBI executive management for final approval. So there is quite the process involved for putting somebody on this list. And what is the criteria for getting on that list or being placed on the list? First, the individual must have a lengthy record of committing serious crimes and or be considered a particularly dangerous menace to society due to current criminal charges. Second, it must be believed that the nationwide publicity afforded by the program can be of assistance in apprehending the fugitive who, in turn, should not already be notorious due to other publicity. So I'm going to kind of throw something out there that goes to the early part of that last statement. It doesn't follow through with the second part of it, but here is a unique situation because we mentioned Matthew Gentile earlier. And the reason why we said that we know he was listening to our most wanted episodes back in 2017 is because he told us he was. And partly he was listening because he became fixated on the Jason Derrick Brown case. And he went on to write the movie and direct the movie that is in select theaters now called American murder, which is all about the Jason Derrick Brown case. Now we sit here in late October of 2022, Jason Derrick Brown having been removed from the list in September of this year. But what's interesting to me here, captain is I think We were able to watch the movie and I very much enjoyed the movie. But one of the disappointing aspects to the movie to me was I thought that it would have been better served that they actually show Jason Derrick Brown's picture, that famous picture of his that was taken days before he commits the homicide. And it's put that was his FBI most wanted list picture. I thought that that would have been smart by the movie makers, they chose to go a different route and they featured a picture of the actor that plays him instead. The other misstep that I think is, is had here is by the FBI itself. Now I don't know that they had any information that this movie would be coming out. It's a little weird that he's removed from the list just months. Well, not even a full two months before this movie comes out, but I think that the movie And the FBI working hand in hand together, the publicity that this movie could generate could be a really good tool for law enforcement with the purpose of maybe potentially apprehending this guy finally after all of these years. Well, and if you read about Jason's case, it also seems like out of all the people on the most wanted list, they get so many calls about him 
sightings that people think they saw Jason somewhere. So like you said, now that there's going to be more publicity about this case and more people talking about this case to remove him right before that kind of seems a little silly. Yeah. And so I don't know if they were aware that this movie was coming out, but regardless today they would be because the movie's in theaters. Now it was in theaters as of last Friday, I believe the 21st. And we recently have one of the current 10 most wanted fugitives was recently captured. This is Rafael Coro Quintero. So you may have an opening on that list. And I do know that there have been in certain instances back throughout history that an individual has been placed on the list more than one time. So what, what I'm begging of the FBI is use this tool that came out with this movie coming out as an excuse to let's put him back on the list. He, he, he's certainly not less wanted today than he was yesterday. Right. Put him back on the list. He's incredibly dangerous. He is a menace to society. He clearly fits the criteria because he has been on the list before. I'm sure there's already workings to put somebody on this list to take the place of the captured Raphael Coro Quintero. But if it's not Jason Derrick Brown, I'm asking, let it be Jason Derrick Brown, because this is the opportunity that you can have your 56 field offices. You can get, let's get one person from each field office to contact a media outlet, a news outlet and say, Hey, Hey, scrotum chafer. We got some news for you. People want, they crave, unfortunately, true crime news. It's, it's all over the place. It's not just on podcasts. It's on these local news stations frequently as of the, it's always been in the news, but in the last several years, it's ramped up quite a bit. So let's get somebody from these field offices to contact a news outlet and say, Hey, I've got a, a story for you. Here's this guy that's wanted by the FBI. He's been on our FBI wanted list all of these years. He was removed from the list because of yada, 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 da, 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 da. They don't give a, a complete reason why, or a very firm reason why, but tell us why he was removed and say, Hey, look, We've placed him back on the list because we need the public's help to apprehend this individual. Now there's this movie that's come out, American Murderer, that's about the story, that's about Jason Derrick Brown. We would like we would like to take this moment to broadcast this out to as many people as possible. And I think now is a good time. I think the last time that they produced age progression photos of Jason Derrick Brown, I believe might have been 2013 or 2014. I think now's the time to update those as well. And let's start peddling this picture out and this name and this story out to every news outlet that we can get out there. Because I think that this could, if he is still out there somewhere and within the long reach of the law, now's the time to get this. Guy. Well, no statute of limitation on murder. But you also wonder what the intel of the FBI is. And also, is it possible that they get intel of where they think he is? They get a lot more sightings. They're tracking this individual. They end up pulling him off the list because they want him to feel uh, a little more safe. And maybe by pulling him off the list, they think maybe he will become more vulnerable uh, because he will feel safe. And maybe that will lead to the the capture of Jason Derrick Brown. A lot more to get to after this quick beer break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you ever thought about why your wireless bill is so damn expensive? 
It's all just radio waves, and how much can a radio wave really cost? Seems like Big Wireless got together and decided, $100 a month? I think they'll buy it. What choice do they have? Now, thanks to Mint Mobile, you do have a choice. For a limited time, all phone plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. I made the switch. I'm enjoying it. The secret is in the sauce over at Mint Mobile. 5G for free, no extra overhead, flexible plan options. Your unlocked device and current phone number are always welcome at Mint Mobile. I made the switch. I love it. You should do the same. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s, with a diverse cast of characters, you'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. Cheers, mate. Cheers to you, Captain. Uh, some other questions that I find interesting that are on the FBI's website, and this is really plays to our individual that we are seeking help with, Jason Derrick Brown. One question is, when are fugitives removed from the list? The answer, 10 most wanted fugitives are only removed from the list when they meet one of the following conditions. First, they are captured. That makes sense. Duh. Second, the federal process pending against the individual is dismissed. This is not an FBI decision. So this sounds like if you were placed on the list, you were wanted for these reasons, for, for it being believed that you committed these crimes. Well, at some point, evidence could change that, and maybe you are no longer considered a suspect that they would remove you for right. that purpose. And then the third answer that they give, this is the vague area where I believe like Jason Derrick Brown and some of the others that we mentioned, Bishop Jr. and Fisher, Robert William Fisher may fall. It says third, they no longer fit 10 most wanted fugitives criteria. So that's a nice vague answer. Now it says that in the 13 cases where fugitives were removed for the third reason, it was determined that each fugitive was no longer considered to be a particularly dangerous menace to society. When a fugitive is removed from the list, another is added to take his or her place. So where you have somebody like William Bradford Bishop Jr., who has been on the run for so long, is 81 years of age at the time when you remove him from the list in 2018, 
that makes some sense because they're probably thinking like, look, this dude's been on the list for all of these years. Him being on the list has clearly not led to us finding him or him being apprehended. And now if he is, if he is still alive, he would be old. He would be ancient. He'd be 81 years old. He may not be particularly dangerous to society if he is still alive, but there's also the added factor that he might not be alive. And now he's just this cog, you know, he's just this, this thing that's jamming up a spot on your 10 most wanted fugitives list. So I think at some point you do have to decide, do we take these guys off? Uh, but, but what's interesting to me here, captain is what we're seeing is this list has been around since 1950. We talked about the numbers, 529 individuals making this list since 1950, over 400 of them have been apprehended. It's got a really good success rate. And here they're saying only 13 cases do we have where a fugitive was removed for the third reason, was not captured, or the federal process pending against the individual dismissed. Well, what we know about Jason Derrick Brown, this uh, douchebag boner hanger, he was not caught and the charges were not dropped. So again, maybe if there's some intel that they have that possibly he is deceased, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially when you read in so many articles and so much information out there saying, this guy is one of the number one calls that the FBI gets is about Jason Brown. So if you're getting all these calls and you got to assume that, that some of these calls are credible leads that you would not want to stop that information from coming in. Yeah. And again, we will post those pictures. I hope that they update the age progression photos of Jason Derrick Brown. I think now would be a good, as good of a time as any, uh, and a good excuse to update those photos and get those back out to the public. Now, one outlet, we, we discussed news outlets earlier and how I would use them if I were at the FBI and in relation to Jason's case. But one news outlet that was doing such stories was News 12, NBC News 12 out of Arizona, when back in 2017, they were running regular segments on their news, what they were calling Arizona's Most Wanted. And of course, they featured Jason Derrick Brown's case then and there. And I wanted to read some parts of that article because it gives some further explanation and more detail about this individual, this wanted individual and the crime that he is accused of committing. And it reads wanted for first degree murder, armed robbery and unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. The FBI and Phoenix police say Jason Derrick Brown murdered Dunbar armored car guard Keith Palamores after he collected the box office receipts from the AMC theaters in Ahwatukee on November 29th, 2004. Ahwatukee is in Arizona. FBI Supervisory Special Agent Lance Leasing says Brown fired six rounds from a 45 caliber semi-automatic, five bullets into Palomar's head. The FBI says Brown got away with $56,000 in the money bag. He took off on a mountain bike from the side alley of the movie theater. The bike was later recovered and was dusted for prints. The FBI says the prints matched that of Jason Derrick Brown, who had previous arrests. The agent in charge was among the first to respond to the scene. And he goes on to say, when we responded to that 911 call, you had you kind of have an idea in your head of what the criminal's going to be like, maybe his previous history. When you respond to a crime of this magnitude, you expect that the suspect is going to have a lengthy criminal history. So this crime, this murder, to break it down even further, note the date there, November 29th, 2004. That would have been a Monday. And this was the Monday after the long Thanksgiving weekend. And we all know how busy the movie theaters get on Thanksgiving Day weekend. Really what Jason Derrick Brown's plan was 
that this would be a huge score, that this would be one of the best days to hit this kind of robbery because it would be a big take that the, the movie theater would have had a really big weekend and he would be making off with a ton of money. Now, What's so cold-blooded and calculated, and this is why Jason Derrick Brown deserves to be on this list, and this is why I consider him to still be a menace to society. Think about how cold-blooded this homicide is. He knew going into this that he was going to kill somebody. Yeah, it wasn't a robbery that went wrong. No. This was part of the plan. This is premeditated murder. He knew he had watched that movie theater. He had watched that truck, that armored car, pull up and pick up that money several times before committing this crime. He knew that the armed guard, Keith Palamores, who was in his mid-20s, had his whole life ahead of him. Jason Derrick Brown knew that whoever was holding that bag walking out of that movie theater, that's who he was going to kill on that Monday morning. And he knew, too, that this this guard would be protected, would have a bulletproof vest on. And that's why he shot him in the head so many times. And they say that when Brown attempted to grab the bag and flee after shooting Palomares, that Palomares, one, was ambushed. We got to consider how chicken shit and how cowardly this whole act is, you know, where some people will say, what, you know, this guy must have have stones the size of grapefruits to to pull this off in broad daylight and and attack a man who's carrying a gun. Palomares was ambushed. Derek Brown, Jason Derek Brown, popped out from behind a pillar near the the entrance of the movie theater, gun already drawn and already pointed at Palomares before before he even knew what was going on. Keith Palomares did not have an opportunity to pull his weapon to defend himself when he shot mul- multiple times in the head. And then when Jason Derrick Brown goes to flee the scene, Keith Palomares was doing his job. Just, just a man out there working that day, just a guy hoping to go home at the end of the day, like the rest of us loses his life. But Jason Derrick Brown had to fight Palomares to get the bag from his hand to pry it from his hand as he was dying there. And Brown takes off. He hops on this bike and he hightails it out of there, riding his bike off to where he had a vehicle stash, a getaway vehicle stash, and he hops in that that vehicle. And because there were several witnesses at the scene, they tell police, hey, this is what the guy looked like. This is how the crime went down. And oh, by the way, he fled on a bicycle. Well, when they recovered that bicycle, they dust it for prints. And because Jason Derrick Brown had a police record. His prints were on file. That's how we know that he committed this crime. One thing that's weird, Captain, that is not widely discussed on on this case, but is of interest to me, is there is an individual that is listed as a potential co-conspirator or a potential partner in crime here for this particular crime. There was a man, Jason Derrick Brown was staying in a hotel that was somewhat near the crime scene at the time of the crime. And there was a man that he is seen talking to on the surveillance camera of that hotel. Now that man has not been identified. He could be somebody that has nothing to do with these crimes, or he could have been somebody that was an accomplice to Jason Derrick Brown. We clearly don't know because all we know is that Jason Derrick Brown had an interaction, had some kind of conversation with this individual, but we do not know who this individual is. It'd be interesting if somebody could come forward and say, hey, I was that guy. I had nothing to do with these crimes. I may not even know, you know, I don't even technically know Jason Derrick Brown. We were just two strangers exchanging pleasantries. Well, and if you were eyewitness to this attack, I mean, this is a horrific attack. Maybe you wouldn't notice other things like was this guy used as a pawn to distract individuals at the movie theater, was this individual used as a pawn to be a lookout for Jason Derrick Brown? Uh, who knows? Some more highlights of this article that was put together by News 12, NBC News 12. The special agent, Lance Leeson, goes on to tell us a little bit more about the crime and describe Jason. What is Jason like? And he says, 
he, Jason Derrick Brown, thought this was going to be a big payday. He thought this was going to be millions of dollars. It was not. That, of course, is why he went to these extremes to commit murder. Again, he knew he was going to be killing somebody that day. That's what's that's what needs to be reminded here, that it, the cold-blooded nature of this crime. Uh, and then asked, what is Jason like? The special agent says, uh, greedy is a good example. Vain might be another good word to explain him. Put himself in front of everyone else. That's why he chose to end somebody's life for money. I mean, it's a ridiculous thing to end somebody's life for. Well, before this point in his life, Jason seemed to just be kind of a douchebag. And I know I say that a lot about these individuals, but this guy was, this guy was cocky. This guy was arrogant. This This guy guy, fits the definition of douchebag, probably more to a greater degree than, than many other douchebags that we've discussed on the show. And he was basically a con man. Mm -hmm. And so he'd run these little cons when he could, and he would con his family and he was a known drug user. And I'm guessing that's why, Part of the reason uh, he needed the money, but also he he would rent very nice houses and he would drive very nice cars. He drove an Escalade and a BMW. So this guy was basically looking at life, and it seems like he was a good guy to start, maybe a good person to start, and then it, there was like a a switch that went off in him. He he went from it went from being a religious person, somebody that w- was married, seemed to have everything going in the right direction. He even did some missionary work. And then he goes through this divorce, and it seems like he just was like, okay, well, this is life, and I don't want to play by other people's rules. I'm going to play by my own rules from now on. And I'm going to use people and manipulate people and, and to the point, like the colonel keeps saying, to the point where he realized I could score big and all I have to do is murder somebody. All I have to do is take somebody, wipe them off this earth. A person he knew nothing of. He, he did not right. know this individual. He did not care who the person was. It's not like he had any kind of beef with the guy. It was. Any one of us could have been the person carrying out the bag that day at the movie theater. And this guy has decided that he is going to take that person's life regardless of who it is. And again, there's not just one victim here. This victim had a family, had friends, had coworkers, and Jason didn't care about any of that. He didn't care about manipulating the system, he didn't care about manipulating his friends. He didn't care about manipulating and stealing from his own family. Keith Palamores, as I said earlier, was in his early 20s, had just been married the year before that he was killed. This young man had Jason Derrick Brown not taken his life that day for $56,000. This man likely would have you know, went on to start a family of his own while this guy This horrible guy has been on the run since 2004. I mean, we're talking, Captain, we're coming up on 18 years since this crime was committed. Keith Palomares would would very likely be a very happy father at this stage in his life had he not been killed that day in 2004 with, with kids that are now entering high school. Well, and I think that's one of the most fascinating things about this case, though, is if this wasn't going to be a big hit and going to be millions and millions of dollars, then maybe you could see that somebody like Jason would have the funds to stay on the run, to flee the country, but 50, what, $58,000? yep, $56,000 is not going to last you. Right. And the crime happened on November 29th, 2004. It was December 4th. 2004, in which Jason Derrick Brown was officially charged with first-degree murder and armed robbery. He was then later charged with unlawful flight to avoid prosecution 
and a federal arrest warrant that was issued two days later on December 6th by the United States District Court for the District of Arizona. So you mentioned earlier, Captain, about where this guy could be, and there have been some sightings and and some known activity, too. So let's go through some of that known activity first. So soon after being identified as prime suspect A number one in this case, Jason Derrick Brown fled the state of Arizona to Henderson, Nevada. And then they authorities know that he continued on to Las Vegas. This is where he swapped out his BMW M3 for a black Cadillac Escalade that he had in storage. He then drove to Orange County, California, where he stayed with some relatives until December 6th, 2004, when FBI agents carrying out an arrest warrant, they believe that they missed They went to go arrest Jason Derrick Brown. They believe they missed him by just one hour. Wow. That he got out of there just one hour before they could show up to to get him and apprehend him on December 6th. Makes you wonder how much information that his family had at that time about what Jason Brown was doing with his life. His brother would fit the definition of douchebag as well. Uh, Jason Derrick Brown apparently used his credit card, and this is why they know some of his activity uses credit card at a gas station in Southern orange County, California. He traveled to San Diego near the Mexican border. Makes sense. Guy on the run, get across the Mexican border, but then they tracked him to Portland, Oregon. And then after this, the FBI says that Brown became a ghost and completely went off the grid. So they lose track of him physically there at that point in the timeline, but it was the next month in January. It was January 16th, 2005 that authorities discovered Jason Derrick Brown's abandoned Cadillac that he left in long-term parking. He left this in the parking lot at the Portland international airport. This is really interesting to me here, captain, because a couple of things, he goes to San Diego maybe giving the appearance that he wants to cross into Mexico. Then we are able to track him. The authorities track him up to Portland, Oregon, maybe giving the idea that no, maybe he wants to cross over into Canada instead. Well, if I was drawn in from the law, I, my first pick would not be Mexico. I could live in Vancouver. Yeah. I, with Just with the violence that goes on in, in some of the cities in Mexico, you know my luck, Captain. If I if I fled to Mexico, I'd end up dead there for some other reason. Well, yeah. Uh, well, just think about <laughs> but just think about this. Like you said, all this violence going on in Mexico, and then you go, well, what are Canadians known for? Being nice people. I'll take my mm. chances with the nice people. And some more information here. It says that by 2005. So in in the course of less than one year, the FBI received over 200 leads in the case. These are potential sightings of where Jason Derrick Brown could be, with the majority of those leads being outside of the state of Arizona. Uh, Several of these leads came from outside of the United States as well, with possible sightings in Canada, like we had just mentioned as a possibility. And again, due to his California surfer dude look and appearance. They think that this, this could be like a a double-edged sword here, right? Where in some cases may make him stand out or make him more memorable to people that have seen him on the 10 most wanted fugitives list. But they also say that this could give him the ability to blend into crowds and to, to go unnoticed because he kind of fits the scenery. Well, I describe Jason, like I said, he kind of has that frat boy look, but because he had this strange haircut, this almost like a blowout, like Pauly D from Jersey Shore, you shave your head, you get a new haircut. This guy looks like an average white dude. And then, like you said, I think to catch a guy like this, it's... It's all going to depend how many characteristics of his personality, of his lifestyle that he keeps. Like I said, he's known to drive nice cars or want to drive nice cars. So a, a BMW Escalade. Well, that's pretty simple to to fix. 
get rid of the Escalade, get a pickup truck. You got, you have a haircut style that is very distinct. Change your haircut. But there's some things like, hey, come into my house, take off your shoes. Oh, this guy kind of looks like Jason Brown, has similar characteristics. That that might be a personality trait that he doesn't change. Or like I said, Jason Brown has a good physique. If he wanted to keep that up, is he working out at his house? Is he working out at a gym? I would I would guess that there was a lot of sightings that were reported to the FBI. You know, somebody working out and having a guy come into a gym that maybe wasn't familiar to the other people that come into the gym and go, hey, that guy kind of looks like the guy on the FBI most wanted list. Well, and you talk about the change in appearance or potential change in his appearance. Just the passing of time. It's been almost 18 years since the crime was committed. Just the passing of time alone will make Jason Derrick Brown look different. He could, as you're pointing out, could look considerably different than he did 18 years ago. And, you know, he does speak French fluently. So fleeing to Canada would make a lot of sense. Well, the other thing, too, he has a very distinct nose. So, but that is something that he could obviously change. Now, looking at these age progression pictures that they, that the FBI provides us, I'm giving these a one bottle cap out of five. These look awful. These don't even look like real people. They did this with the Brian Schaefer case. They did a age progression where I just go, this guy looks like he's in his seventies. This guy looks like he's wearing a, a mask of an old man. Uh, you'd think that they'd be able to do a better job of these age progression images. Now for persons on the 10 most wanted fugitives list, there is a minimum reward amount of $100,000. But in Jason Derrick Brown's case, the FBI was offering a reward of up to $200,000 at one time while he was on the list. Again, I'm guessing that there is a reward out there for him. How much that amount is currently, I can't say with any level of confidence here. But yeah, you're right. I I I think that it's time to update these age-enhanced photographs of Jason Derrick Brown. And one thing that's that's good for the case, good for the chance of apprehending him, but also eerie at the same time is the photograph of Jason with that spiked hair, with the blowout hair, like you described taken in 2004, he's wearing the red hooded sweatshirt that if you watch the movie, American murder, he's wearing that sweatshirt, uh, at the time of, uh, committing the crimes. And he, that picture was taken literally days before this homicide. And so this is one of those really weird situations where you have a, a very updated photograph that is going out of a wanted individual shortly after it's determined that he was responsible for these crimes. This picture was taken on the day that he purchased. Uh, I, I should strike that captain and say, I, I don't know if it was the day that he purchased the gun, but I believe that it was the day that he purchased the gun that he ended up using to commit this homicide. I think the other thing here with Jason Brown is all of his validation. You know, he a greedy guy, but why? Because I want to rent a nice house because I want to drive a nice car. I want to wear a fancy watch. I want to go out on a boat. I believe he owned a boat at one point. He wants to live this flashy lifestyle. I would think that this would be very difficult to keep up for 14 years. It's not like he was Ted Kaczynski living out in a cabin and went missing. A guy like that you might never find because he can just go to Alaska and live off the, you know, live off the land and be a recluse. And they're, they're fine with that. They can, they thrive, thrive in that condition. I don't think somebody like Jason Brown can thrive in that uh, situation. Their validation comes from outside sources. Yeah.
Thank you so much for joining us here in the Flying Garage Ship. Yeah, we might not be on America's most wanted list, but we are top 10 in your hearts of true crime. So much more to get to. Join us back here in the Flying Garage Ship tomorrow. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.